Welcome back to System Ministry Review, the podcast where we have guests that do interesting things in interesting times. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. I'm Zero. Well, I was distracted. And, and with us we have... <laughs> oh, sorry. Soldier of Fortran. He's also yeah. distracted. <laughs> also known as Phil. So for brevity's sake, we'll be referring to him as Phil, but, you know, we typically online he goes by Soldier of Fortran. He does some really interesting stuff with mainframes, like legit mainframes. Before we really get into that, because that's I'm super anxious about it. Like I want to talk about anxious. it right now. I, well, well, we have like to the wait. Good anxious. We have to get to my topic, and then we can talk to him. But before that, we right. we've got a like a couple other things to mention. Yes. But, so he's like one of like the seven mainframe pen testers in the world. We'll be linking to everything that he gives us that he wants up. So, I mean, feel free to plug again yourself, Phil, but everything you give us, I'll pop right into the show notes. So, anything you want. I mean, the thing is, he listens to us. So, that's like the most amazing thing right there, you know? Yeah, I was surprised by that, honestly. Our following in the. with it, it, It's a little Always surprising. surprised to find out that some people tune no, in. No, no, listen, all right? Because we don't focus on InfoSec, we focus on operations. We're, mm. we're mostly, if anything, we're blue team. And that's that's not what sells, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's where I would say most of the goodies for hackers come from is the operation side. Sex sells, though. That's true. That's true. Well, right. But my point is, like, blue team and defense is not, or even just plain old operations is really not that sexy, Payton. So yeah, I know. It doesn't sell. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're the invisible. <laughs> okay, so before we get started with all of that, what are you guys drinking tonight? I can't drink. So I'm drinking a yeah. lime spindrift. What what the hell is a, spindrift? A lime See, it's such a spindrift? Such a fucking hippie drink, you don't even know what it is. I'm not a hippie. Just because I have dreadlocks doesn't mean I'm a hippie, Jay. No, that I should have said hipster drink, honestly. Uh, well, I'm not one of those either. I'm too old to be a hipster. Well, anyway, it's it's some <laughs> fucking, you know, natural, unsweetened carbonated water. That's that supposedly disgusting. Honestly, that's not bad. It's just an eight pack of it at the store is like six dollars. Okay, all right. So that's uh, it's a little pricey, but I figured if I wasn't going to be so I'm I'm not drinking because I'm on some medication that I can't drink right, while right, I'm taking. Right. I figured I may as well also make sure I stay hydrated, and since I'm not buying any beer or alcohol, I felt like it was okay to splurge on some fancy water. I that is an interesting <clears throat> conclusion that you made, Peyton. What are you drinking? I'm actually on a diet right now. And oh, I'm out. Okay, of, I'm uh, I'm not doing carbs either. I do have my absolute and so my Glenmorangie. Over here, so okay. I'll probably take some okay. steps of that or whatever, but I've, I've mostly got water in front of me. And also, I did the rowing machine today. First time I've exercised in a long time. And Oh, yeah. Who, would, who would want to really drink? Yeah. I, I'm waiting for the pain to hit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, like what, when I hit my 30s, yeah. I was like, all right, this is it. Here it is. Yeah. Is, yeah. It sucks. Mm-hmm. Phil, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, Highland Park Viking Honor 18 years. Wow, that sounds beautiful. I've never yeah, heard of I it before. Uh, I, have, it is I haven't had it. Fantastic. <laughs> it was a gift given to me by one of the other mainframe hackers named uh, Big Endian Smalls. Okay. I believe what we, a unique we do name. follow him on Twitter. So Love that. We follow him on the Twitter account, by the way, for the, the podcast, Payton. Oh. Ah, yeah, so he always has some interesting posts. Yes. I am drinking a Guinness Extra Stout that is left over from St. Patrick's Day. Weirdly enough, I got it to cook with and not to drink with, but I'm, I have left over, so I am, I'm drinking it now. Because I normally never drink, but I, I figure I have it now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Peyton, yeah. are you ready to give us just the tip? I mean, you don't want me to just go full Monty and just drive it in there? 
Well, on the bill, we have it as just the tip. All right, so, so you know I, what? I'll just do just the tip. How's it's that better sound? to it's better to promise too little and over deliver. Oh yes. Then oh yeah, I, I'll okay. give you just the tip and maybe a little more. <laughs> oh my gosh! Why did we name this segment this? <laughs> okay, go. Okay, go, all right. Go. What's your tip for us? So I'm going to be talking about LXC. Now I'm not going to get too deep into it. It is intriguing. It's a bit like KVM. So it really is just the tip. Oh my god! Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where was I before somebody rudely interrupted me? LXC. LXC, that's right. So it's LXC and KVM are similar, except that LXC does not emulate mm-hmm. hardware. It just shares the same kernel namespace, which is similar to a CHROOT application. Mm-hmm. It's a really, uh, actually, very interesting uh, little thing. So you install LXC and LXC-templates if you're on CentOS. Uh, it's LXC on Arch, and then uh, you can install the Arch uh, template as well with that. To create an, an LXC uh, container is just LXC-create-n. You give it a name, and then dash T, and then download, and that will give you a large list of distros uh, of all varying types. You know, Debian Stretch is in there, Fedora 29, mm-hmm. all the different versions of Fedora, all the different versions of Debian Stretch. So They're, they're basically uh, CHROOT snapshots yeah right? yeah essentially yeah yeah okay there are some dependencies there's an optional dependency of h-a-v-e-g-d have good i guess is, how you, is the oh I, yeah I've, i think i've answered a stack overflow question with it yeah with that yeah yeah i've used it a lot i use yeah. it in the ssh secure script yeah 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 so that's that's an optional requirement if you want to have that installed you can no big deal Mm-hmm. A required dependency is DNS mask, so you can set up networking. Now you can do, okay. you can have it share, like be on the same subnet and everything as your host system if you want to. And that requires turning some stuff off and whatnot. Probably enabling well, you would dis- forwarding. It's disabling LXC-net is all it is. So normally you would oh, enable okay. that and then set up your network however you want to set up. Then you would, but to disable that and just have it share your network connection be its own thing. Oh, so like, speak, a, it just be like a broadcast kind of a right, thing. Right, right, sure. I see. Okay. So when you first install it, you want to enable and start LXC-net unless you want to share the same network and then you would disable that, of course. You would systemctl enable LXC. What you do is uh, systemctl start and enable LXC, just that, that's all you need. And then systemctl enable and start libvirt And so once you do that, then you're able to do an LXC-create and get, get going. You can specify a root user. You can specify SSH. It'll tell you how to install SSH, things like that. Mm-hmm. If you uh, normally to run a container, you need to run it as a root user. You can do unprivileged, unprivileged containers, which is outside of the root user. So you can enable the sysctl setting kernel dot unprivileged dot underscore users ns underscore clone. Now that's the temporary. Can you do that with service capabilities? I believe so. I will. Okay. I will. Because I feel like that would be a, a better way of doing it. So you get more fine grained control. It has. Are you a, turning uh, like SysCTL or something like that? No. There's a. Oh, I, let's see if I can remember some of the names. Cap underscore net, I think, which allows networking. Cap. It's basically a bunch of uh, kernel hooks. I believe they're already hooked. Well, yeah, yeah, but you're mentioning like what? It sounds like you're. There's one to turn on everything. But well, no, I, I wouldn't want to what do this that do, for a no, container. I, I don't know that it does that necessarily. I think what this okay. does is it just allows a regular user to create a container as opposed to requiring sudo or root. And so, oh, just to create, yeah, 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 not just to, to create it, not to okay. you know. Weird. So mm-hmm. there's a temp version of doing that. So you do the previous kernel dot underprivileged etc equals one, or you can go into sysctl.d and create a permanent setting. 
To add PAM, you would just add a line to your Etsy PAM.de slash system login. So it looks pretty neat. It's got, you know, some good stuff in there. It's 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 just a snapshot. It's a CH root of, you know, of a running system. It's a bit like Docker, like that, you know, but it doesn't do any hardware, mm-hmm. virtu- uh, you know, virtualization. Shows. I don't think Docker does either. Right. No, Docker is, is based on LXC, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 So I'm almost positive it is. And that was Peyton's The Tip. I just gave cool. you Fantastic. The Tip. Now, right, if yes. you are interested in hearing about something, please tweet at me, P4D3N, or you can tweet the show, and we will uh, gladly take any tips you want to give us, but only the tip. Yeah, we well, we have multiple ways of them yeah. getting a tip. Absolutely. Just go to our site, systemadministerview.com slash contact. You'll find everything there that you could ever possibly need. We have our individual Twitter handles yep. on our staff we bio do. page, staff host bio page. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, so, Phil, so, 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 thank uh, you for sitting through that. We are excited to hear about this. First off, mainframe hacking, what the hell got you started in that? Because that's such a, a an esoteric thing. What, what, Jathan? What the hell is mainframe hacking? Wait, 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 hold on. You said esoteric. Isn't it, <laughs> isn't it esoteric? Uh, tomato, tomato. Yeah, I heard it both ways. It's fine. So long ago, I was a real shitty auditor. I was one of those like checklist auditors that all the admins love you know what i mean oh you just do a nessus report and done right oh i was even worse i'd come in with a checklist <laughs> oh like a literal che- okay a All literal right. checklist okay and not even allowed to touch the machines mm. and uh, a lot of my clients were mainframes and because you know i worked at big four and they're mm-hmm. like a and i have a linux background i worked at a startup doing linuxy stuff and they're like oh cool you can do you can do all these mainframe audits I knew nothing. I was just going and doing a checklist. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward like five, six years, I'm working at Visa. And we bring this guy in who's like the guy who's mainframe security. Like he is the mainframe security expert, PCI, mm-hmm. mainframe security guy, all these things. And he doesn't know what the netstat command does. What? And like we're trying to figure out, like I'm trying to figure out as an auditor, like what ports are running on our mainframes? Like what's open and why? And was it documentation? Uh-huh. You know, like auditor stuff. And He's like, oh, well, you're going to have to look at the comm server and, you know, it's going to take, we're going to have to write like a custom assembler program that's going to cost X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, can I just run the netstack command? (laughs) And and he's like, what does that command do? What Mm -hmm. will that do? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Like, (laughs) this is our expert. This is our guy. That has been replaced, by the way, in IP route 2 with SS. Well, by the way, anyways, it's but it's not relevant to you now, anyways, right? <laughs> on the mainframe, it's technically dig, but this is like ten years ago, <laughs> right? Right. So then that was one thing, right? It was during the same audit, and mm-hmm. someone, one of the the person I'm working with, goes, you know, we have three pillars of security. We have you know compliance, which is not security. Mm-hmm. We have you know we have a team that does administration, user administration, okay, and then we also the fact that the operating system is unpurchasable. Right, mm-hmm. you can't just go on out and buy it. And my my wife loves this story. Hmm. I was traveling back and forth to Denver, back and forth, and so I'm like, that can't be right. You, there's got to be a way to get this operating system. So mm-hmm. I go to the Pirate Bay and I download the operating system. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then okay. and then I write up this like paste bin and post it like all weekend long. Like I have like my six month old son on my chest and I'm writing this furious guide on how to get it working <laughs> and i post it to pastebin and i show up back at denver on the monday and i'm like and yeah, not only is it you can't buy it because it's free 
and some hacker wrote a guide on how to install it on Pastebin. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, and then that just sort of sparked like everything I looked at, everything I was poking at. I was like, this, it can't be like this. So for example, mm. one of the ways to log in is through TSO. Um, okay. That's like time sharing option. It's basically like your bash shell or whatever yeah, yeah, shell, yeah. right? Like okay. it says SSH, right? And so, so that's the shell prompt. And the login screen for that has user enumeration just mm-hmm. like in it. And I had been told up to that point, like how secure the mainframe was like secure. There was that's, no question about it. It is the first thing you hear about it. Most yeah. secure platform on the planet. And it's true. If you lock it down, if you spend the time to lock it down, it is very secure, much mm-hmm. like Linux. If you install SE Linux and spend the time to do it right, it's right, very the policies, secure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no one does that. And so, but I'd heard all these things. And so I went and then I wrote some scripts that do like user enumeration. And I find out like, oh, it's, this is a thing. And so I go, and then, you know, that sort of dovetailed into like, well, I wonder who's talked about this platform at like DEF CON or Black Hat or like Mm -hmm. RSA anywhere, right? And so I'd go back 10 years and there's nothing. There's just Mm -hmm. no talking about this platform at all at any of these InfoSec conferences. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I should probably talk a little bit about the platform. Yeah. I was going to ask about it anyway, so now's yeah. a good time as any. So I make a joke, especially at InfoSec conferences, like people talk about plane hacking and mm-hmm. how they can like ground a plane. And then I go, that's cute. I can ground the fleet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Right? Because what people don't understand is how systemically important the mainframe is. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you have every industry you care about relies on a mainframe. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Twitter is not using a mainframe, but who cares about Twitter? Right. Right. Like MySpace wasn't running a mainframe, but Mm -hmm. all your banks are all your credit card transactions. Anytime you use a debit card, anytime you take money out from a bank, it's going through a mainframe somewhere. Anytime you fly, Mm -hmm. they're routing all those flights through mainframes. Anytime you go to Walmart, all the logistics is managed by a mainframe. So it is an important platform that if I joke, so I was at Twitter for an OWASP event and some smug guy comes up to me, you know, I live in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. some smug guy comes up to me and, I, and he's like, oh, what do you do? And, and I'm like, oh, I do mainframe security research. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mainframes, who uses that? <laughs> and um, I go, I go everyone, you know what? Let me tell you. You do? Twitter yeah. could go offline tonight. Mm-hmm. And there would be a headline on CNN the next day, Twitter offline MySpace 2 has propped up to replace it. Right, right. And Twitter might be in the news for a couple of days and it would be a big deal, but then everyone would just migrate to whatever platform is next. Yeah, within like a week, yeah. Yeah. If all the mainframes went offline tonight, it would be a global economic catastrophe. Shipping, mm-hmm. like UPS would shut down, planes would be grounded, your bank, your like all your credit card clearing wouldn't happen. Power's Billions gone. of do- Oh yeah, power Plumbing's might be gone. gone. There's all kinds of things that would go away. I mean, your student debt would also go away. So that's nice. well. But <laughs> so how do we make so this with the rest of society? <laughs> so what? Well, <laughs> I off my lip. So I'm not worried yeah, about maybe. it. <laughs> well, you come watch some of my talks. <laughs> there you, <laughs> so you, there you make go. It, make it work. But to me, it was you know, as an auditor and a infosec enthusiast in my teens, mm-hmm. it was important to me that like no one, no one was really talking about this. It was sort of seen yeah. as this like workhorse run by a bunch of old angry people and <laughs> who, you know, were disagreeable 
and you know, don't bother them. It just runs and it works. And we'll do mm-hmm. whatever we're going to do over here on Windows and Linux box and Unix boxes and stuff like that, right? Right, right. And so, you know, that's to me, it kind of blew my mind when people were like, oh, you can't run a vulnerability scan on a mainframe. What? Why not? It's like, what? Why not? And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you might bring it down. Like, it's too important. <laughs> oh, my God. And so it's rock solid, but just don't don't test that. Theory. Oh no, this is my this is my favorite anecdote. I wrote in an audit report, like as a young junior auditor, I'm like I don't know what mm-hmm. I'm doing, and I right. go with my checklist, and they say, I go, are you running vulnerability scans? No. I say, okay, I just need a reason, right? Like as an auditor, you, so long as you get a good <laughs> yeah. explanation, you can just move on, right? Right. And so I'm like, okay, just give me a reason why. And they come back and they're like, okay, we're worried it's going to bring down the mainframe, and so therefore we don't let them. On vulnerability scans. I'm like, okay, cool. So I put in my report, I, I write up my report, and I go, you know, there's a huge issue here, this systemically important platform for the enterprise that, mm-hmm. you know, generating millions of billions of dollars of revenue is unreliable. It cannot right. handle a simple vulnerability scan, which a Windows box can handle. Right. We need yeah. to think about replatforming the applications to a new application. So I wrote that up in the report. And it caused this huge shitstorm, and my boss told me to never do that again, because you know they were just going by the fact that oh, we're the mainframe, you can't touch us, right? right like we're too right. important, we're too big. And I was just like, I was just treating it like you would any other computer, right? Yeah. Like if you had like some Windows NT box that you said, oh, we got to keep it around for legacy reasons, but we can't scan it with vulnerability scans. Oh, and by the way, our company fails if this box goes down. Yeah. I'd be like, well, what are you doing? Get all your crap off of it. Yeah, that. no shit. Why <laughs> right, is it on one right. box? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But that's the mainframe. That was the world. And that's like 10 years ago. And that attitude has changed over over time. I've Like people, people, not to toot my own horn, but people tell me like, you know, like before I started talking at DEF CON, sort of, you know, people were like, yeah, don't, don't worry about us. We're the mainframe. We'll just keep on chugging. Don't scan us. Don't pen test us. Mm. Don't worry about it. Right. And now there's really like... There's been an uptick. I've seen people come to me and be like, oh, we're getting like PCI reviewers telling us why aren't we pen testing our mainframe? Mm-hmm. And they well, don't accept I, the excuse. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that shift is, or that paradigm shift, if I want to sound snooty Paradigm? Is, <laughs> yeah, sure, is, you know, in no small part due to you and your your small enclave, you know? Yeah, we, um, you mentioned six. We joke. It's like um, when we roll into DEF CON and there's like, three or four of the world hackers sort of meet up. We have like a mainframe hacker meetup mm-hmm. and all four of us go to like a bar and then we'll tweet <laughs> out like 50% of the world's hackers are at <laughs> the DEF CON hacker meetup. This is a great turnout this year. <laughs> you know, Of course, then if like a bus crashes into the building, you've ruined your we, industry. <laughs> we no joke. There's sometimes we're at a conference where there's like three or four of us together at like mainframe events. Yeah. And we'll joke like, you know, if, if someone set off a bomb, it would set back mainframe security research like five, <laughs> ten years. Oh, like, I believe it. I believe it. Why yeah. are there so few of you? I think a part of it is they don't teach the platform in school anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. Like getting access to it is hard. I get people hitting me up all the time, like, well, okay, I'm interested. How do I get access? The other thing is it's there's definitely a learning curve to the platform. Mm. Right? Like it's not as easy as reading a couple of guides on Ubuntu and then or like CentOS and getting a CentOS server set up and then you have a LAMP stack and you're set up and you're good, right? It's definitely, it's a platform and an operating system made for and by engineers. So it's the most yeah. convoluted thing on the planet, right? Yep. 
Now I've gone way too far without explaining what exactly I'm talking about when I talk about mainframes. <laughs> so when I'm talking about mainframes, I mean ZOS, right? Mm-hmm. That's like the main workhorse mainframe operating system. That's It runs on a Z architecture platform. It's been around since the 50s and 60s. It's not that it's old. It's just been around a long time. We usually see like newspaper articles where they're like, this bank's running this operating system for 60 years. And I'm like... Okay, yeah, but, but not the same version. Right, like right, that's like yeah. saying someone has a program written in C. Yeah. <laughs> invented in right. the 60s. It has a legacy, but it is not yeah. legacy. Yeah. Or like like I used to say, in, like I've said in like a Black Hat talk, you know, that's like a newspaper saying that, like, this company was running Windows 2018, Windows Server 2018, <laughs> right. which has kernel components from based on Windows NT. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. Well, yeah, it's okay. It's like, no, duh, you're not going to rewrite the kernel the entire time. Yeah, yeah you're going you're gonna to add on to it. But even then, yeah. I'm sure there's parts of the NT code still in Windows Server. Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. Right? Like, why would you rewrite the, uh, I don't know, the IPv4 stack if yeah. it already... The RFC's not going to change anytime soon for well, IPv4. Yeah, and all that stuff so. is based on BSD Linux, or BSD yeah, Unix exactly. anyways, right? So, yeah. yep. But journalists don't talk about it that way. But when they talk about the mainframe, they talk about it like, this ancient, old, mysterious platform from the dawn of man... Yeah, it has like a, a mythical air about it. And I'm like, the most recent version of the operating system was released like last year. <laughs> and the hardware was refreshed last yeah. year. I was just, I was literally just reading an article. So ZOS is sort of like the main flagship. You can also run a hypervisor called ZVM, which mm-hmm. is, is a huge thing. And they, you can run like 100,000 Linux VMs on this platform, just straight up Linux, okay. no, without even sweating. Right. Nice. It runs sure. it like, like it's not. It's built for like resiliency. It's. I mean, look. It's made for banks and militaries, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and manufacturers and people who need six nines of uptime. Yeah. Right. Six seven nines. Which the is only like, time what, this plat- like five minutes of, of like downtime a year. Yeah, you get like you get like half an hour. Yeah. yeah of downtime. It's, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're running this platform because you can't have your paycheck not go through tonight. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if Facebook went down for 14 hours and no one cared. Yeah. Except for probably a couple of grandmas, right? <laughs> grandmas, they had right. lives, right. yeah. But I didn't even I didn't even notice. If J.P. Morgan Chase can't, is not cashing paychecks, that ends up on, on the People news. People are pissed. The national news, right? Yeah, like... Yeah. Uh, that, that has an economical impact right there. Right. Yeah. So, I, look, not to disparage Facebook, I'm sure there were a bunch of advertisers that were upset <laughs> their ads didn't make it to some families or something, right? Whatever. <laughs> right. But, you know, grandma can wait for baby pictures. But mm-hmm. it's designed to withstand earthquakes. Mm-hmm. So you can take out CPUs mid-process, and the architecture will reroute that process to a different CPU. That's pretty cool. Wow. Right? Like, it's designed for the enterprise. It's designed for uptime. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. meant to be... And they have replication everywhere. And it's like, it's so frustrating to me. Like, I talk to people who do, like, data lake implementations, and they're building out these huge Hadoop clusters and things like that. And I'm like, you could run the whole cluster on one, mm-hmm. like, IBM mainframe box. The whole cluster. Mm-hmm. How, much, like, no. how much is one of those boxes actually, like, cost-wise? That's a good question. You should probably talk to your <laughs> IBM rep. Because <laughs> they ain't cheap. If you need to ask, it's probably too much. Dude, yes. I'll put it that way. <laughs> like, it's not cheap. It's more than, right? it's yeah. more but, than you'll make in your lifetime. Yeah, it, it's in the millions. Okay. But yeah. it's, but at that point, you're not paying for, you know, you're not paying to get a box that's going to run. You're paying because you want to have your ops team sleep at night. And you want, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's not about 
you know, just having the box and buying a VPS somewhere, it's about, you know, your business cannot go down. Right. You know, you can't have, like every, like the Delta outage a couple of years ago, you know, I like to talk about that because the mainframe was still working during the Delta outage, right? Mm -hmm. But some middleware couldn't talk to the mainframe Mm -hmm. and it grounded their entire global fleet for like eight to 12 hours. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, that again, that has like a global impact. So yeah, that's there. I specifically personally missed a meeting because of it. Mm. Wow. Right, I was okay. supposed to get on a flight. Wow. I couldn't get on the flight, and so I just went back home because it was like one of those like I'm going to fly that's here. Like a coincidence, yeah. Spend a couple of hours and then get on the flight home, and then mm-hmm. I, they were just like, "Well, we can't push the plane back," and then I'm like, "Well, I'll just go home and then yeah. get my flight refunded." Right? Yeah. I mean, chances are, like, if you are a business that needs a mainframe you are able to afford one and if yes. you can't afford one you don't need one no, that's the thing is i want one <laughs> that's no but <laughs> no all right <laughs> this becomes a discussion of need versus one here i mean i look hardware wise yes i would love one you can actually get a virtualized mainframe you can buy it from ibm they sell a like mm-hmm. linux product where you just literally just install this on CentOS and you get a virtualized mainframe mm. Right, like that's. I think I remember you mentioning in that talk that you you linked us to. It's around five grand, something like that, three to five yeah. grand. Yeah, yeah, it's about okay. five grand, which I mean, substantially cheaper than you know a mainframe, but you know, in the millions, yeah. But right. like, right, that's for developer use. You're not supposed to use sure. it for production. You know, it's sure. for building and prototyping things. Not if anything, I would probably get it for educational reasons. But even yeah, then, it's, it's that's probably exactly close what enough. It's for. That's yeah. what it's yeah. for. I yeah. mean, if you want the hardware, the hardware ain't cheap. You can ask Connor who bought a used one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, We'll link to a, his talk in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, it's a great talk. It is. He, yeah. he bought a used one and set it up, and you can find used ones, but like on Twitter, the so it's super funny to me. So like when I first started this about 2011, mainframe Twitter wasn't a thing, <laughs> right. right? And then now there is a mainframe Twitter. So we joke like there's a whole bunch of mainframers on Twitter, and we all sort of share inside jokes amongst each other. And when a couple of days ago... Like mainframe Twitter was all a flutter because a university put one of their mainframes, like their the hardware for sale oh, for fourteen dollars. What? And everyone was like, Fuck, I will pay someone to go and get this. Like yeah. this is dirt yeah. cheap. And wow. then someone called the university and they're like, Hold up, fourteen thousand. Mi- yeah, yeah. It was like <laughs> that's a mistake. That's... For like a ten year old box. Yeah. Right. Jeez. Yeah, it's still not cheap. And the other thing is even if you were able to buy it, right? Say if you bought the hardware used. Mm-hmm. For fourteen grand, now you've got to figure out a way to power it in your house. Yeah, which it uses. Yeah. You got to figure like out three phase power, whatever, doesn't it? Yeah, it's. I'm not. Look, I'm not a data center guy. Yeah, uh-huh. by any means. Yeah, all I know is I can't just plug it into the wall. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Like no, my I, Linux I would boxes. imagine not. Yeah. You know, it's not like a laptop I can take. Well, with you me. can. It's just it was very <laughs> difficult. Yes. And you might burn some things up. Yeah, and then the other thing is like cooling. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. if, if you okay. if you watch Connor's talk and he talks about you know his. Like, he doesn't need a heater in his basement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause that thing's just in the winter because it's just generating heat, right? And the last thing is, if you buy the hardware, you don't get hard drives with it. Yeah. You're literally just buying the CPUs and the cooling. Right, mm-hmm. And a way to manage it, right? And a you're license not, to the software. A, well, yeah. no. You don't, yeah, you don't get really? a license to the software. Yeah. You get the hardware. So even if you were able to get the hard drives, like called DASDs, for it, you still need a license for the software. Wow. Yeah. And that okay. license is going to yes. be outrageous, too. Exactly. IBM. Mm. Like, so it's literally by and for enterprises. It's supposed wow. to be. And the thing that's frustrating for me is it's so good at what it does. And it runs silently in the background. 
that mm-hmm. no one knows it's there. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. Like yep. when you go to, to pay, if you have any investments with Schwab, that's all mainframe Yeah. on the back end. Mm-hmm. Right? Even some of the front end stuff is probably running on a mainframe. Right? Like it can serve up web pages just like anything else. Yeah. Yep. It's literally just a computer. It's just a really powerful computer. Right. Right. Right? Like there's, so to me, it's super frustrating because it never gets any press. It never gets talked about. It doesn't mm-hmm. get any attention in any of the, any of sort of like, you know, I don't know, like, unless it's negative yeah not to throw shade at you guys but on administrative podcasts like system podcasts or even that like the various hacking podcasts unless it's chad or i or one of the other members of our crew talking about mainframe hacking it's not talked about it's yeah just, well it's uh, that's invisible. why we're that's why we're stoked to have you on because like we i will probably never touch one in my entire life that is definitely not true you probably touched one while we were talking just not knowing it no not i mean physically i mean physically I will probably uh, never physically come in contact with one. I mean, do you mean like put hands on one in a data center? Yes. yes. Well, I mean, you never never say never. <laughs> yeah, never say never. But even then, you know, like, no, I, I know I, I utilize one every single moment of my life. But physically, I will probably never have hands on one. I mean, if you want to see some, speaking. if you want to well, yeah, see I'm not some opposed, on the I'm internet. I'm not opposed to it. I run the internet mainframe program. Okay. And oh, that, yeah, is yeah, a, yeah, yeah. that is a Tumblr that... I run that has pictures and IP addresses of all the internet mainframes. Okay. I mean, not all, but right. at least well, the 600. The ones you can find. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At Which least 600 of them. A substantial number, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll give a talk about sort of the journey to making that program, like how do I, you know, the internet mainframe mm-hmm. program. And then at the end of that talk, I'll say, okay, I'll run, while I'm talking, I run Nmap of the ones mm-hmm. I know. And then after, like, at the halfway point of the talk, I'll say, okay, here's the list of mainframes that are live on the mm-hmm. internet. Let's connect to them, and I'll tell you what I could do with just the information on this screen alone, mm-hmm. right? And we'll scroll through the list, and we sometimes we find some crazy stuff, like military mainframes or mm. AT&T mainframes and all kinds of cool stuff. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to me that this platform is just sort of this silent partner in the whole IT space, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Like you send data to it and data comes out and it runs just fine and no one questions it. And, you know, some people might refer to it as a legacy platform, which it definitely is not. Right. But it's just there, right? I could get into the technical details, like it runs top secret or RACF or ACF2 as like the security platform. Mm-hmm. But I like to think when I tell people who are not from the mainframe space, I usually couch it in like the terms of like a Windows domain. Okay, yeah. Right? So if you took an entire Windows domain of Windows servers and logins and password, all that crap, and you just sort of bunch it all together and put it on one box mm-hmm. instead of like hundreds of off-the-shelf boxes. Right, right. That's what a mainframe is. And so on in there, you would have a security manager, right? Like Active Directory, you would have RACF or Top Secret or ACF2, one of the three main products. Long story of why there's three of them, but there's three <laughs> products to manage security and... It's just like Active Directory. You just manage access to everything on the box. And you can go so granular as to say, these users can only open ports in this range, right? Mm-hmm. So like not even, you can say, hey, anyone who's in this group is not allowed to even open a port. That's, like, it's impressive. Like, it is. It's a really impressive platform that not many people like know how to use. And it's been run by, now here's the challenge. The IBM space is facing a, a crisis, just like InfoSec, mm. to be honest, of people because it was sort of overlooked for so long and not mm-hmm. taught in schools that there's a talent shortage. Yeah. 
Yeah. And in the mainframe space, the mainframe space is the only place I've been on where on the mailing list, people have died of old age. I mean, I, I'm not surprised, but right. Like that's it's, it is kind of a joke, but not really. I mean, it's, you know, like, yes, you know, on Twitter and InfoSec, there's a lot of self-care that needs to go on there, but mm-hmm. I've never been a part of a community where people are just like, oh, they just passed on because they were in their 90s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, right. They were given advice the other day and now they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. You always, that's, I think I've experienced that twice. And that was only because one of the groups, one of the mailing lists I was on was like an Amiga hobbyist group or something like that. Oh yeah, Amiga. And, yeah, oh, my goodness. Oh, it's always sad when you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did not. I had an Atari and an NES. I digress. No, you know what? I think it was OS2 Warp because it was older guys. Oh boy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. Commodore 64. But man, they they love their old systems. Yeah. And yeah, and and that was the only mailing list I've ever been in where, you know, the sad news was passed along to the rest of the list that this member has passed. But like, you know, the only reason you feel comfortable with that in that setting is because you're all so close because there's such a small number of people in it. Yes. So Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a really weird situation to be in for sure. But yeah, I'm sure no one's posting, you know, it's sad news today someone passed on the full disclosure infosec mailing <laughs> list with thousands right. of people on it, you know. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of young faces there too. Yeah, so that's definitely that definitely is what I would call a crisis. Because like, they're so not if you take yeah so not to interrupt but if you take no that's right if you take the fact that there's a shortage in it of people in infosec and then you compound that with the fact that there's a shortage of people who can manage mainframes yeah and then you add on to that the fact that the auditors don't know what they're doing right yeah. that's your last line of defense mhm and even they're like i don't know like it's legacy who cares right yeah. or they have a checklist that doesn't cover the entirety of the operating system like what blows my mind is do you guys know what isaka is no no it's on my head the group formerly known as Information Security Controls Association. Mm. They're no longer called that. They're just ISACA. But it's like sort of like okay. an auditor industry group. Okay. And I, they invited me to give a talk about mainframe auditing and security. And so I put, mm-hmm. you guys know what the DISA STIGs are? No. Okay. So that's no, sort of like, is... like DOD standards for securing operating systems. Okay. Right? Oh, yeah, like yeah, stinks. Okay. Yes. I remember seeing that in paperwork, yeah. Yeah, and so they have a really good... And so for any listeners who are responsible for securing mainframes or are curious about securing mainframes, go read the DISA STIGs for ZOS for RACF Top Secret ACF2. They are, they are the gold standard, right? Mm. And so this audit group invites me to give a talk, and so I put this whole presentation together and I say that. I just tell them, like, don't use anything but the DISA STIGs. That is the gold standard for auditing this platform. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And I get this, like, after they review my slides, because, yes, they had to review my slides. Right. They come back and they say, hey, did you know we have our own audit program for mm. the platform? And so I'm like, yeah, but it, it's not good. It's in some <laughs> components. I'm like, well, we want you to talk about it. So I said, okay. So I put in two slides. I put in one slide that says it's here, it exists. Mm-hmm. And then I put another part that says here's all the parts it's missing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so on ZOS... It actually comes with Unix. Not okay. like a container. Mm-hmm. It's not a container. It's part of the operating system. And right. in fact, TCPIP okay. is run through the Unix part of the operating system. Right. Well, this audit guide didn't cover Unix, mm. a core component of the operating system. In fact, a lot of our, right. I call the Unix part of the mainframe the gateway drug for hackers. <laughs> okay. Because it's nice. familiar. Yeah. yeah. It's not foreign. It's easy for someone to say, okay, I can install Python here. I can get a bash prompt. You know, I can do mm-hmm. things I'm used to doing in this environment. Right. Right. And so, in fact, 
What's cool is just last week, IBM was talking at so their industry event, which is called Share. They were talking about how they're going to have Docker containers running on ZOS. Okay. That's neat. Right? Like as part of the operating system. Yeah, that's really cool, which is a thing it couldn't do before. But right. now right. in my head, I'm like, cool. I can literally just create a container that has all my tools in it, <laughs> like my... Right. Right, like everything I need, and then it's just one upload, and then I have a container in your environment that can talk. And what's funny to me is places I've been, the mainframes usually have carte blanche to talk to everything. Because mm-hmm. you never know. Like, do you want to be the guy who made the firewall rule that stopped <laughs> business for 12 hours? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? So when the mainframers say, no, we need that, no one questions it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in our little, little hacking, uh, a gentleman by the name of Henry he created sort of like a Java proxy because it runs Java mm-hmm. as well. Everything does. Right, right. And he used that successfully to be like, well, I just, I broke into the mainframe and then I use that to hop into your commercial network mm. because the mainframe can talk to everything, right? Whereas the corporate network could not. Right. So, so same thing. If I can get a Docker container on there, then I can do everything really. Right. So, but it's just this vets and the attack surface is massive on the platform. Mm. So there's just so much space and research. Well, and its role is massive, do. so that that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and and imagine it's like it has a massive surface area, mm-hmm. and no one's looked at it for like 20 years. Yeah, yeah, that's. And I'm not saying it. There's, you know, I'm not saying it's insecure. I'm just saying that we are it's unknown. Yeah. Have we as we dig into it? There's all these nooks and crannies to dig into. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was invited. and I was giving a talk in front of a bunch of executives. And they were asking, you know, I was showing demos. Like I wrote a bunch of Nmap scripts and a whole and a whole Nmap library even right. to do mainframe hacking. And I showed them like, oh, I can just brute force all the accounts. After I enumerate all the accounts, I can just brute force <laughs> them all. And this guy gets real upset. And he's like, you can't do that. We lock accounts out after five attempts. So you can't brute force any accounts. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to try like one user right. and 5,000 passwords. Right. I'm going to try your 20,000 users and one password. <laughs> right. Right. And I just need one. And he goes, Someone's... oh, that would totally work. Yeah. yeah. Someone's, yeah. Someone's yeah. got their password set to P4SSW0DRD. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Capital P. Yeah. Like P at. One, two, three, yep. four, five. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is passwords are limited to eight characters. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, is that, is that the a... hashing system they use or is that? It was. Okay. So historically speaking, mm-hmm. they use DES. Okay. The password hashing algorithm. We're talking DES one. Mm, yeah. Like the, okay. Yeah. Like single DES. Right. Okay. Like not not triple DES. Not, not triple DES. Yeah. Oh gosh. So okay. It's just single DES. And what's the key length in triple DES or single DES? Oh. Anybody? I can't just remember. Like it's some some administrivia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which I even looked up and because I needed it for reference, and I that was about two years ago, and I haven't used it since because nothing uses it. So. Right. So the key length is is fifty six bits. Okay. Plus check keys which makes it ostensibly 64 bits right right that does ring some bells yeah and so 64 bits is eight bytes mm-hmm. does it really sound like a or lot eight of character password you know. yeah that makes sense okay right it's an eight character password and so all the screens and all the interfaces to mainframes that have been built over the last 20 years all rely on the fact that it's eight characters mm. and so they say oh you know oh we're worried that someone could do sql injection Oh, it doesn't. We don't need to worry. We'll just limit it, hard code it to eight. You, so yeah, passwords can't be longer than eight characters. You've got bigger problems at that point, right? Right. So all these things rely on the fact that the character, the passwords are eight characters long. Now, IBM, and in the last couple of years, released KDF AES for okay. password hashing, which right? is 
Much better. Far yeah. better. Yeah. Far better. And so Chad, Big Onion Smalls, he gives a great talk at Share about like sort of understanding the algorithm mm-hmm. and, and how it works. But if you look today, both John the Ripper and Hashcat support the DES and the KDF AES algorithm that RecF has. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Right? So, but yeah. One's going to take a lot longer to <laughs> to get the hash with it, it the does, correct, but yeah. remember, you're hard coded to A characters, right? So oh, even with the PPKDF, e- even with yeah, even with the Jeez. new KDFAES algorithm, you're limited. Now that's not technically true. You could you could change your system over to use passphrases, mm-hmm. but then passphrases start at a minimum 14 characters. Okay, right. So you can't just like say, okay, everyone, next time you change your password, it's going to be you know 14 characters plus. You'd have like because people in payroll would melt like down. Yeah, yeah. No, they would. They would hate that. They're like, what do you mean I can't just change the last digit to nine <laughs> and move on? Right, right. I got to get to work. Like, this is not, this is impeding. Right, right. Yeah. So. And I'd imagine all of the, at least some of the middleware doesn't sufficiently report the, the length cutoff. So it'll just silently truncate it, leaving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that about happens that a lot where, yeah, where you see, like, if you go to certain bank websites or whatnot, mm-hmm. or like, you might, you might see. Like, for me, it's always a game to be like, Huh, these rules are really dumb. Mm-hmm. I bet you it's going straight into a mainframe and they're using the mainframe like security platform to yep. do the password management. Yeah. Because yep. like why you only allow the dollar sign, the hash, and the at symbol, special yeah. characters? What the hell? Yeah. That is that's right, F. And okay. so but yeah, that's absolutely a thing where you see apps cutting it off at eight and then forwarding it off to the mm-hmm. mainframe. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter how long your password We've is. We've actually uh given a baddie about that, haven't we? About no, yeah, uh, no. I th- I think that was, was a news article. It, I think it was sure. truncating it to like. We, I'm almost sure we did a baddie for it, but it was like truncating it to like four characters. No, it but, was eight. I re- it was eight. If you put in more than eight, it was a it bank. Just you know, it was, it was a bank. bank. It was eight, and it could only be numbers. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, that okay. is bad. That's that, terrible. It's terrible. Like we it's, we yeah. had a contest around it. That Vic one. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah how long or how many permutations it would take to what was the what get was the, the final entire number, range by the way. oh i can't remember uh, I, don't ask me it can't be that big it's just it's, it, no it's not big i mean it was it was under a million our, but... our idiot savant over here jathan knows all of the episodes by heart it can quote things and for some <laughs> yeah. reason yeah. he's just not doing it lately do you know, know which why. episode that was jathan which one the, the one <laughs> we were just <laughs> talking about yes no, I know it was an S one. You're disappointing me. We'll we'll link You're to fired. it. In the show I'm notes. distracted because I'm not drinking. Well, That's not how why aren't anything you drinking? works. He well, he already you. said he's on medication. I know. I know. I'm just <laughs> okay. All right. Anyways, speaking of, I'll share one last story. I know. Yeah. I know we're yeah. Along. Share as many as you want. Yeah. I was at a site and they limited. They had this really great password policy that was like the minimum length of passwords is eight. Okay. okay. Right? Like, like that. Pretty good. Minimum, like, like that's it. You cannot be less than eight. And then I had this little like star beside it. Mm-hmm. And then I went and found like what that star was, and the star said, "Unless you're a legacy system, <laughs> then it's four characters." <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so then I go. So then I'm auditing a mainframe. Uh huh. And I'm like, "What's your?" So I'm looking at the par- So in the mainframe space, everything is uh, like a library, which is a folder, and then you have a parameter library which is basically like slash etc slash whatever mm-hmm. like it's sure like, so i'm looking at the parm lib which is what they call it for the password settings and i'm noticing it's set to four mm-hmm. and i'm like why is it set to four I'm like oh we're a legacy system you don't need to set it to eight <laughs> and i said okay um cool 
by what definition is this operating system that you literally just installed the newest <laughs> version of this year and you just refreshed the hardware last year, uh. what part of that is legacy? Because in the policy, it doesn't define legacy, but I define legacy as the vendor no longer supports the product. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like right? a good that's, definition to me. That's legacy, right? Because it's not getting like Windows NT is legacy. Yeah. Because Microsoft is like, nope, not our problem. Not We're touching not fixing it, yeah. this anymore. Right. And so they huffed and puffed. And finally, we just got the policy changed. Mm. They were fighting us on it. And so finally, we're just like, this policy is dumb. We don't run legacy systems. So we changed the policy to say no legacy systems. Good. <laughs> wow. And it forced them to at Good. least. But you see, but they weren't. They didn't have any legacy systems anyway. So it was. That's the thing. It wasn't legacy. They were right. They were just relying on the fact that the previous auditors were just like, "Oh, it's a mainframe. It's definitely legacy." Yeah. Yeah. Like, who runs mainframes anymore? That's just insane. Right. So sleep well tonight, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) When you're thinking about what Amtrak uses to control. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Knowing there's some zero day out there that can bring the entire country into economical collapse. It's funny you mentioned that. mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Go ahead. It, well, so there was a... Do you guys know who CGI is? I am aware of the acronym in other contexts. Yeah. Probably not okay. the one you're talking about. So they are like a operations outsourcing. Okay. Okay. Right? Like they're not so big in the States, but they're kind of big overseas and they're definitely big in Canada. Sure. And they outsource, you know, operations. So instead of you having to run your like technology stack, you outsource it to these... They run the data center, they run this, the hardware, and then you mm-hmm. don't have to worry about it, right? Okay. And so in Sweden... CGI bought a company called Logica. And right around that time, there was a massive breach of Mm -hmm. a government mainframe in Sweden that contained, amongst other things, their entire social security database, the source code to their tax processing. So, like, imagine if the IRS source code got leaked, Mm. right? Like, that contained all the rules, like, when they flag it for an audit, like, that kind of stuff. Right. And the government was so upset, they IBM does not release vulnerabilities for this platform. There are mm-hmm. no CVEs. They will never release a CVE for this platform, except the Danish government, which is not Sweden, but because it's linked. Yeah. Right. They released, they forced IBM to release because they found this hacker. I have a whole talk where I talk about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the one we're going to link to. Okay. And so this individual, he had discovered, he was a genius, right? Mm-hmm. He still is, but a genius mainframe hacker. And he found a handful of zero days, and one of them was a WebSphere zero day, where if you just terminated whatever like CGI script was running, if you just terminate it with a semicolon, anything else would just run as a, oh bash, as a script. Command. No. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh my in twenty twelve. Oh. In the year twenty twelve. <laughs> I right? like and so I Oh, it hurts. By this. Yes. And so part of the story is in the reports, there mm-hmm. are a whole bunch of other mainframes listed as vectors that he used to sort of like bounce into. Sure. Wow. And when you looked on the internet, those mainframes disappeared. Ooh. So whoever was running them was like, oh, I think we've we also been hacked. We're just going to quietly sort of like. Cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. Cover Dust it, it under up. the rug. Yeah. Right. But like that's There's the no kind of thing that here. terrifies me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that terrifies me is like, one, it's like, I'm not going to be stupid. If everyone that is important runs a mainframe, do you think the NSA doesn't have zero days for the platform? Oh, of course. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah. Like, let's be real, right? And, and if then, they don't, they're working on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, uh, so Barry Schrager is, is an acquaintance of mine who he wrote ACF2. Mm-hmm. And he was telling a story about how, like, back in like the 80s or 90s, 
he was talking and this guy comes up and he's like, hey, there's some vulnerabilities in ACF2 that I can't tell you about because we're actively using them in ops. Okay. But you should know that it's not as secure as people think it is. And later he found out that that dude would work for the CIA. Nice. Right. So it's just the fact that it's it's sort of locked down. Like IBM, no lie, IBM requires you to give up your firstborn child mm-hmm. if you ever talk about the fact that you have access to, they call the IBM security portal, mm-hmm. which is you have to sign up. You have to, one, have a mainframe. Right. Two, have a license for ZOS. And then three, get like your COO to sign off that you're allowed access to this list. And that list is literally just, here's the patch number. Here's a CVE score <laughs> or CVSS score. <laughs> right. So like this patch fixes a vulnerability that has a score of seven. You don't yeah. know what. And the, and the patch does multiple things. It doesn't just do one wow. thing. Right. Right. The patch is for like, and all you know, that's like saying, so here's a patch for the network stack on Linux. Uh-huh. It's got a CVSS score of nine. You need to install it. And you're like, well, what part of the stack Holy does it cow. impact? I'm like, well, we're not going to tell you. We, we can't tell you that. Just know that it's important. It's like, is it DNS? We can't talk about it. Oh, my gosh. And these are binary patches, I'm guessing, right? They're not yes. unified. Yes. Yeah, they're binary. Like they are binary patches. So you would have to try and poke at them yes. to reverse them. And have you? I, no, I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> I don't. I know people who do. Okay. You know, I know all seven mainframe hackers in the world. Right. So, 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 so people, people have do. been putting work into it. I mean, that's good, though. I, I encourage that. I wouldn't say they've been putting work into reverse engineering patches. Mm-hmm. Just that it's possible to, like, because the patches are just, like, object code. Okay. Right? So if, if you can figure out, like, it's like almost like a diff yeah. with object code. So if you can figure out where that diff is happening, then and you can read machine language, which you can because IBM publishes the principles of operation. Right, right. Right? So you can read that easy. Then you can sort of figure out. But then, again, you have, like, megs of changes. Right. <laughs> right. So you have to sift through wow. to find the one. And then sometimes you don't even know what the vulnerability is. You just don't know it's bad. Yeah. So yeah. you don't know what component. And a 9 could be anywhere from, you know, potential remote code execution of authenticated users to all the way down to, oh, this user can get into supervisor state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they're logged in and if they're in this very specific space right yeah so, yeah and you know definitely equally pretty bad things but for entirely different reasons yeah right and if you are trying to figure that out it's literally a needle in a haystack yeah yeah right so but i for sure know like state entities would be doing that that's mm-hmm. they'd mm-hmm. be stupid not to mm-hmm. so but yeah so for me that's how this all got started was well who's doing this mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I took a sans course years ago and i asked the instructor I'm like hey we run a bunch of mainframes any recommendations? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Poke at it with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was like, great. This is a good use of my $5,000. Yeah, just do an NMAP A on it? I don't fucking know. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, can't do an NMAP A. You might bring it down. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> right. Uh, can't, exactly. Can't yeah. do that. <laughs> so just look at it so intensely. In, in and, reference and to... Make sure it's running. Running something like an NMAP A and bringing it down. I'm a big patching guy. I do a lot of, a lot of patching. Yep. How do you go about... You know, patching, rebooting, making sure that it's, you know, up to date, has all its security, you know. So in terms of patching, right, they don't call it patches because nothing is called what you expect to be called. Right. They have APARs and PTFs. Oh, okay. And a PTF is like a problem temporary fix and then Mm -hmm. eventually becomes a permanent fix. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. But like basically in the olden days, you used to get a tape. 
with all mm-hmm. the patches. Okay. And then you'd put that in your tape drive, and then you could install the patches. It gets very complicated. They have this whole infrastructure called SMPE, and you can download. You download all the patches, and you get all the patches for all the products you run. Okay. So IBM and the operating system know what you're paying for and what you're running. Mm-hmm. Even if it's through like a third-party provider, you can still get your patches through IBM. Okay. And then you get all these patches, and then you just literally run like through SMPE. I'm dropping acronyms here because I don't know right. what SMPE right. stands we, for, but... We can put it in the show notes if we need to. Yes. And so you run it through, and you go through this tool, and you say, okay, we're going to apply this patch and this patch and this patch. Mm-hmm. Some of the patches require an, an IPL, which is a reboot. Okay. But that's rare. How, um, uh, how I guess I should say, how often are you rebooting rebooting this particular box, this particular you know it, mainframe? Or it depends. You? Okay. Mm-hmm. So no one buys just a mainframe. Of course. Right, like if you're going to buy one, you're going to buy five. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right, like sure. that's just you know, and so and oftentimes you reboot during a maintenance window. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Makes and sense. At, at good places, that happens once a quarter, maybe m- once a month. At bad places, that happens once a year, or, lo- or I, longer. So, I know someone or, or, or with longer once a year maintenance period. Yep. Right. And I'm so, not about to mention the company, but it is it is one yep. of the big ones. So. You know, some places have once a week. They have maintenance periods every weekend, and that's fair, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's I, the well. I mean, and that's why you get five is so you can you yeah. can do it in tandem. But but like, just like Delta can't bring their entire mainframe environment down to install a patch, right? Right. Sure. Exactly. Saturday afternoon. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Whereas, mm-hmm. like the maybe not the gap, but you know, a small bank could do that. Mm-hmm. No problem. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the enterprise risk that they're willing to take. The problem is I don't think they understand the risk that they're putting themselves in because it's all behind this sort of like all this like cloak and dagger of getting yeah. access to the like list of patches and stuff. If you're not like a front facing cybersecurity organization, you might not care. You're like, well, I installed mm-hmm. the patches. And okay, so this is probably the perfect example. So during that breach that happened in Sweden, yeah, there was an email, there was phone calls that went out Christmas Eve and mm-hmm. they called all their big customers that ran mainframes. IBM did. Sure. And said, you must install this patch. You can't talk about it. You got You have to. This is like a zero day yeah. remote code. And it's the easy, like you could do it with curl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right? Oh, like, wow. Like it was super easy to do. Like I was running demos at a talk, like just using curl and a bash script. Yeah. Here, I'm going to run this command. And I'm going to download this file. Right. Wow. Like super easy. And so they called up everyone Christmas and like, you have to, this is an emergency. You have to install it. So of course, these guys go on the mailing list using their corporate email accounts. Oh, son And they're talking about it. And they're like, yeah, I got this call. Anyone else get this call from IBM for this specific patch? And people are like, yeah, I got the call too. And one guy's like, yeah, I, I don't know what the big deal is. I got the call. I installed it in our dev environment. It'll be in production in six months. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? And that's, oh, wow. that's typical. And these are that, pl- that's I'm typical. guessing these are lists with public archives too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I could, of I, course. Every once in a while. It's definitely in one of my talks. I definitely have it saved somewhere. <laughs> oh, but, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's a great source of OSINT. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's that sort of like, well, that's, you know, what, like, and, and look, like, I'm, I'm being, you know, kind of mean here to operations people. That's not their job. Their job is not security. Their job is not risk. Their job is mm-hmm. uptime. Mm-hmm. Right? At, job, at the end now, of the day, yeah. Yeah, and, Cyber and most security of the times we, most role. of us don't decide the policy too. So exactly, yeah. Cybersecurity plays a role in uptime, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? Like if someone gets access and shuts off your box. Yeah. But that's, that's sort of not the vector anymore. They're targeting data. Mm-hmm. They don't target like... And access, non- yeah. Yeah, Anonymous is no longer DDoSing banks off the web, right? Right. They'd rather steal all the rich people's money. Mm-hmm. And so, but an operations person, their job is uptime, making sure the box is up. Yeah. And if they're only allowed to bring the box down once a year because their SLA says they're up like five nines. Mm-hmm. Six nines. What, and the com- yeah, exactly. And the company's not going to give them extra money for a backup mainframe to do processing while they're, or their backup, pro- their backup policies and procedures just aren't up to snuff that they can take the environment down and let the backup system run production for a yeah. couple of days. Yeah. yeah. What can they do, right? It's not their fault. That's, to me, that's a cybersecurity and auditor issue mm-hmm. where the auditor comes in and says, what, you only, wait a minute. In the Windows space, critical patches are installed in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or 96 yeah. hours, right? Like, like 96 or the box gets taken offline. Reasonable. And then you go yeah. to the mainframe space and you're like, you're going to give it four months yeah. to just hang out before you install a critical patch, right? That's like pretty that's, nuts. Fingers that's crossed that, nobody's running a mass can or whatever, yeah. Right? That totally like, makes yeah, fingers me like, crossed, nuts you don't get that, hearing that. Just like, no, come on. Yeah, me too. It drove me nuts when I was doing all this, when I first started in the space, because I just would treat it like a computer. Mm. And I would look at Windows and I say, well, that's a control in Windows. Why isn't it a control in the mainframe space? Because mm-hmm. on the one side, you have marketing saying how awesome it is. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, I have people telling you how fragile it is. Yeah. So which is it? Yeah. Right. And I know you're just saying it's fragile because you're trying to get out of doing things. Right. I was a sysadmin. I, you know, yeah. there were days yeah. I didn't want to do stuff or I thought the auditors were idiots. <laughs> right. I get it. Right. Right. But so that's where this whole thing comes from. That's why I'm on, literally, that's why I'm on this podcast today. Yeah. And I just talk about it. Yeah. And, and that's why we enjoy having people in the InfoSec world on here is because it's like one of the phrases we say the most on this podcast is probably patch your shit. Yeah. We yeah. say it all because the it's time. really important to not undermine that. Yeah. And, you know, we do recognize that like a lot of our peers are under policy that they did not decide. Yep. But we do have plenty of people who are just lazy sons of bitches. So I'm somewhere in between. <laughs> you're, well, you're. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've got a VPS that every time I log on says restart required for updates. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'll yeah. do it next time I'll I log in. <laughs> I've been getting better with that. But I mean, honestly, like, I finally am getting around to implementing SE Linux correctly for our entire fleet instead of just, you know, infra. So, you know, I'm getting there. It's always a, a challenge, but... Yeah, I mean, this stuff's not easy at the enterprise level. Right? Oh, absolutely not, no. When you're managing, a, like, six or seven Linux boxes, fine. When you're yeah. managing Hundreds, thousands... thousands, yeah. yeah. Like, you've got an entire Hadoop cluster with petabytes of data and thousands of Linux boxes, and you've got to patch them all? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. what's your infrastructure like? What's your patching? Like, like all these things, like, how long does it need to sit in dev? What if the patch breaks everything? Right. I worked right. at a TV network where we put, there was an update to the teleprompter software. So we put the, tele, on, on all the newsrooms in this TV network, they all ran the same, everyone had to have access. So we, mm-hmm. we installed it on all the, bo- like by hand overnight one night, because I was night shift. Mm-hmm. And we went box to box to box to box installing the update. And I looked down the row and I could just see blue screens oh, no. following oh, me as man. the mission rebooted <laughs> up. And I was like, and then you'd look around and we're like, oh, we, we like killed like two thirds of the newsroom Shit. Wow. with a software update. And yeah. we had to re-image all the machines wow. for like two days Yeah. while we're having producers yell in our faces. Oh. So, you know, it's, I get it. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. I, mean, I get this like, uh, well, it's running fine now. Why do I need to patch? Mm-hmm. Like if I, you know, and again, operations people, they're paid with SLAs and uptime, mm-hmm. not unhackable. Right. right. So right. what's the highest uptime you've seen? On a mainframe? I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, you can, well, you can even bring the operating system down on those things without it really right. affecting the right, entire right, system right, uptime. Yeah. Well, so. that's, a, if you're running ZVM. Mm-hmm. And you're running like a handful of LPARs running on ZVM. Mm-hmm. You never have to bring the actual hardware down. Yeah. Like ever. Yeah. Like you can hot swap parts out of that thing. You can hot swap like all kinds of like it's built to just run. Again, it will it survives earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Or missile attacks. You know, like it's designed to be up forever. I think in terms of like raw uptime. Yeah. I think the most I've seen is maybe a year or two. Really? Okay. But that's only because they have maintenance windows. Right. You know, it's like a car. You have to. Sure. You have to eventually you you get have it maintained. To do it, yeah. And if you know, if you're going to maintain it, might as well reboot it and do right. all these things. The other thing is, IBM refreshes the operating system every. It used to be every year. Now it's every other year. Okay. And most companies are on a three to four year rolling update, mm-hmm. and the hardware gets refreshed every other year too. Opposite. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you would have to to yeah. match the OS. Yeah. And IBM doesn't support anything older. Mm-hmm. Right. That so, too, yeah. like, like you might be able to hold on. To dear life to your old license to like ZOS 110, mm-hmm. but that's not supported and you can't do anything and you can't get help. And I'd imagine it would even be costly from the business planning perspective, probably costlier to renew after that mm-hmm. than to just yeah. keep it rolling. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. Good luck going back into IBM and being <laughs> like, okay, so our replatforming didn't go as planned. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. And that's... our three year, you know, our three year replatforming turned into twelve, and right. we'd like to get the newest version of the OS. Like might, that sales guy's gonna be like, you. yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, no, I mean, well, they won't laugh at you. They're just gonna chuckle oh, no. to themselves silently and evilly. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, they'll be on WhatsApp texting their wife like yeah, we're going exactly. to Cancun like twelve <laughs> exactly. times this year. Like exactly. this is so awesome. Yep. Yep. Like exactly. I'm about to make my commission for the whole year today. Yeah. Now, in the traditionally, I'm going way back to maybe the 50s and 60s, typically with the university mainframes, they would yep. do timeshare system, you know, which is where we get the name from. They, they would mm-hmm. basically rent out box space. Do you still see that as a common practice or no? I mean, in the enterprise space, there are still enterprises that will use, like, you're running a job mm-hmm. and that job is associated with a billing code. Mm hmm. And that way they know, oh, this is a payroll job. And therefore, like, like your mainframe costs X million a year. Yeah. And so payroll owes us Y million a year because that's how much CPU time they used. Okay. And HR used X million a year and they're going to give us, you know, or they use X, you know, it's just, and that's for billing. Right. right. So yeah. Right. You still see that. But it's mostly in-house, in enterprise. just broken down to by yeah, department. Yeah, okay. like there's no more CompuServes. Yeah, 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 like, exactly. That's not true, actually. There are companies where you can rent time on a mainframe. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. You can outsource main like mainframes, the whole bunch of companies. You can, a whole bunch, sorry. In the mainframe space, that's like three. But <laughs> right. there are organizations, some reputable, some not, mm-hmm. where you can go and rent time on a mainframe to do development work or to do, you know, run a production application on it teach classes there's all kinds of options sure Mm -hmm. you know but yeah you can still do that and they can track all that in fact when you buy the hardware it comes with like they don't call it cpus again they don't call anything right the name right right. they They call them engines and it will come with a couple hundred engines okay but you only need a hundred say it comes with like 150 cpus Mm -hmm. well you're only going to use a hundred of them Mm -hmm. but to make your data center you know 
efficient, you're going to want to use like 90% of that. Sure. Why would you pay for 100 if you're only going to use 10? Absolutely. And so you're running at 90% efficiency, right? So that way if you spike and all of a sudden you hit like some huge event happens, like everyone's buying stock in Uber Mm -hmm. and now you need 112 CPUs. In real time, the operating system and the architecture will say, okay, we give you these extra CPUs and we're billing by the minute every for every as long as you're using them, we're billing. Okay. And then so you can you can hit that and go over your peak, and then when your t- peak dies down, you're no longer being billed for those extra CPUs. Kind of like what I recognize that now that it might be an irrelevant <laughs> analogy to you, but kind of what KVM does, but on the hardware yeah. level, yeah, with yeah. resource ballooning. That's cool. Yep. That's really that's cool. That's exactly, and that's where it's so frustrating for me as I learn more about the platform and its technologies and that stuff, and it's like. I used to read about how like Facebook is doing all this cool stuff with like virtualization and, mm-hmm. and Google and that stuff. And you find out that IBM invented that stuff 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, like that's exactly. That's old, old that's hat. Cool. Like it's, you know, you, yeah. And it's super. And, and that's the thing that, that kills me is, is you read in the news about this old crusty platform and I'm like, it's so it's new and it's cool and it's modern. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's an entirely different world. Yeah. That's just it. It's just that like, People have said, oh, it's before I was born and therefore it's it's old, right? You're still, I mean, you're still flying on a jet, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. That's... Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, jet engines, you know, haven't changed in, you know, they, they're turbofans now, but they haven't mm-hmm. changed, you know, scientifically. And wings, I mean, wings have been around forever. Yep, yep. But journalists exactly. aren't like, oh, uh, the 737 MAX was grounded today. Planes were invented in the nineteen whatever (laughs) by the Wright brothers. Right, exactly. Like they don't talk about planes like that, but or like Chad's favorite is like you don't hear like journalists go, "A car crash happened today on the highway." Cars invented by Ford, like cars (laughs) modernized by Ford in the you know in this time period, and or tires created by man in the you know early four thousand BC. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like they don't talk about it like that but for whatever reason it's just like they talk about the mainframe like it's this old ancient thing and it, it kills us every time and in fact we joke about how like we should just give a talk that's just all headlines of journalists calling it old <laughs> and referencing it as like a crusty platform right right yeah or COBOL COBOL is the most frustrating thing because COBOL is fine it's a language yeah and yeah, people yeah. make fun of COBOL all the time and I'm like, you're just making fun of it because you don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. No, right? I, I mean, like, I, I'll make fun of it. I just know it's still used in very wildly successful platforms. Yeah. Yeah, like I am super excited because Python 2.7 is legacy. Not like, yet. Uh, not until 2020. Can't wait for January 1st, 2020. I'm, I'm counting the days. <laughs> I am counting the days. And so I am super excited when all the articles come out in like 2025 yeah. about Python 2.7 legacy programs. <laughs> right. You know, crashing automated cars. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you and, know, and it's, it's talking coming, about yeah. Python invented in the 90s. Yep. 1991, 92? Something. Something like that. Yeah. And like, but they don't talk about Python like that. They don't say, like, you don't read a news article that's like Python, a 30 year old programming yeah. language. Yeah, exactly. But it is one of my pet peeves for sure. I it, look, it's a Python was conceived in the late like. 1980s by Guido Van Rossum at Centrum, Wixund, and Informatics in the Netherlands. When. Well, when was so it? When was, when was the release for the first time? I don't know. Let's find out. Give me a second here. Because I know he was working on it privately for a hot minute. First release in 1991. Oh. There you go. So there you go. So we've got two years to go, a handful of years to go, and then it's a 30 plus 
a 20 plus year old operating uh, well first appeared 1990 so that's 29 years ago mm-hmm. there you go yeah yeah so so with the obsolescence of 27 or the entire two branch it will be 30 years old that's fantastic that's great i can't yeah. wait for that to happen sooner rather than later can we make it happen yeah. now? <laughs> well, look, it, it, I'm of the opinion if you're writing any Python code at all, it should be three. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Do you have anything? Any any closing thoughts you'd like to share with us, Phil? I think just if you're interested in anything mainframe, yeah, reach out to me. I'm very approachable on Twitter. We'll link to it. Yep. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just a computer. Uh, if I'm you have one it. in the enterprise. I'm sure the mainframers would love for you to come up and talk to them mm-hmm. about it. You know, like it's not this thing to be scared of. It's just different. It's mm-hmm. to me. I tell people like, remember the first time if like people who are like windows people, yeah. like, Hey, remember the first time you tried Linux Yeah. and you're like, I have to type what to install what now? Yeah. <laughs> right. What, what does yum mean? Yeah. You know, like it's that. How like, do you remember all the, these commands is when I get totally. very often. <laughs> yeah. I installed Red Hat 3 or 4 back when oh, I wow. first got it. And I set it up. I had this old 486 I was going to use as my Linux box. And I set it up, installed it. And then I spent three hours trying to run Doom. Because there was a folder, <laughs> slash user, slash games, uh-huh. slash Doom. And I was in the folder. I'm like, Doom, doesn't work. Doom.exe, doesn't work. <laughs> slash Doom, doesn't work. What the fuck? And so then finally I was just like, I got to go on IRC. Mm-hmm. And like... I went on RC. I'm like, I just need to run. I'm just trying to play Doom. <laughs> How do I do this? Right. I hate this operating system. <laughs> and someone replies like, dot slash. Yeah, and they're like, oh, son of a bitch. And I was like, dot slash. So I dot slash Doom. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for someone who's coming from a Windows and MS-DOS world. It's, yeah, it's, there's, a, there's definitely totally that curve. Foreign. Yeah. Right? Same thing with the mainframe. Okay. Yep. It's, it's totally foreign. But you just have to sit down and learn it and the idiosyncrasies, and then you're fine. Mm-hmm. The only challenge is there's no, the stack overflow, that's mostly mainframe forms, and those people are mean. Yeah. Very mean. Yeah. And so avoid that. But yeah, I would say if you're interested, just come and talk to me. You know, there's there's a handful of us. We, we write a lot of articles, uh, Chad and I specifically, but there's like Ayub and Henry that write articles uh, more specifically focused on cybersecurity. But we also talk about like debugging programs and how patching works and and that kind of stuff. Like, so mm-hmm. if you're interested in this, if just reach out to me. We'd love to have more hackers in the mainframe hacker society. That would be fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, I really shouldn't ask this because we have our own mirror. Do you know if POC or GTFO is still going on? Like the yeah, I mean, I'm writing an article right now. They're really okay. Finish it. Yeah, because we're no, we're mirroring, but I haven't seen any issues since 2018. So I don't know if they just went private with it. No, or they whatever. just released one. They did. They literally just released one like this week. Oh, or last man. week. I don't think I, I got to change Parent Mirror then because I don't I don't think we have it on the site. Yeah, they just released one. It might not be released released as PDF. Yeah. Sometimes they do this like we'll bring a bunch of printouts to like a conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after the conference, we release the PDF. So yeah. I know okay. I know I saw some tweets about that. But yeah, I've written I've written a couple of, of entries for POC or, or GTFO. One of them is a noir mystery novel. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> about learning how to write assembler. <laughs> that, is pre- that is a pretty cool approach. Yeah, so we do mirror it. I was about to suggest, you know, obviously I'm, I have a backlog. I'm, I think I'm only up to like the third issue. <laughs> I really need to catch up on it. They're but very technical. They are very technical, and if you're not, if you're not in the infosec realm, there's a lot yeah. of like, you know, tertiary research that you need to do before, you know, yeah. tertiary is the wrong word, but you get what I'm saying. There's mm-hmm. a lot of 
side research you need to do to understand what you're reading. But great read. I was about to suggest that you write a couple articles for it about mainframes, but it sounds like you already have a couple in there. Yeah, I, I would suggest you look up Murder on the USS Table. Okay. That's the name of the my favorite article. I wrote another one about network job entry. Do you know which issues those are so uh, I can link to them directly? It's, it's, I think it's it's 11 or 12. Let me, I can look okay. it up real quick. All right. I'm just literally going to type Murder on the USS Table <laughs> <laughs> into right. Google and see what comes up. Fantastic. Nothing. I usually have to see. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> right. Oh, it looks like, oh, I'm, I'm full of garbage. I didn't write that at all. <laughs> it's 17. Okay. Cool. It's issue so, 17. I can link to that directly in our show notes as well. Yeah, that's the one that's written like as a pulp noir Very cool. PI novel. <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's about writing assembler to create a nice log-on screen for your mainframe. Mm. Like a, like an old BBS. But Nice. Okay. In, yeah. I found a tweet assembly, about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Was it from yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, Probably yeah, from Soldier me. Soldier Fortran. Top <laughs> first ever mainframe hacking yeah. class. Best <laughs> bud. Big Indian Smalls. Got yes. this, got that. Yep. Cool. Very cool. Great. So with that, I think we're ready for Jathan's 15 clams. Is he awake yep. still? There's going to be no no segue that is reasonable here. Well, so with by the nature of your segment, there really isn't any kind of segue we could do that. I don't even know what you're talking about. I never do. Yeah, I know. Because you don't give it to me ahead of time. Uh-huh. So it's a surprise for all of us. Well, here's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> this is meant <laughs> to not just be about. me talking, but a little bit of a discussion. Oh, I want to okay. talk about like... I don't know how you guys feel about where you work or whatever. And I don't, I'm not here to shit on where I work either. Cause I love my yes, job and I love the people I work with and I love the yeah, people I, I work mean, for and blah, blah, blah. Standard boilerplate. These are our personal opinions. They don't reflect the opinions of our employers. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Sure. So, you know, I've said it before for me personally, one of the greatest fucking parts of my job, I think is that we are like a very low budget operation, all things considered. And despite that, I feel like I come up with, like, very viable, working, you know, good, not just, like, okay, not just working, but, like, good solutions for the people that I am supporting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that is why primarily we use ZFS, right? Because you can do it on the cheap, and it works. And the human cost is not especially terrible to make sure that it's appropriately backed up and replicated off-site and blah, 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 whatever the fuck. So here's my question, though. This is like a thought that I've had before, and it's a thought that I I guess I was thinking of driving home today, is like, do you ever look at yourself and you're like, damn, I'm kind of a badass, and wonder how much better you could be or how much more you could do if you worked at, like, you know, some huge company that had all the money in the world? Like, do you feel like there is an advantage to going to one of those places just for that experience where you do have, basically, the keys to the fucking kingdom? Versus staying somewhere where you have to do a lot more homegrown shit and whatever. And I mean that in a couple of ways, right? Like, obviously you get experience with different products and and tools if you can buy anything you want. Your users probably get a fairly different experience depending on your budget as well. So how do you benefit as a systems administrator in that type of environment where you have the money to basically buy anything? Does it make you a better systems administrator? What the fuck are you talking I, about, James? I don't understand. Let me. All right, let me let me see if I can break this out. Okay, so you were asking if it. Look, I'm distracted. I can't drink. <laughs> this is like. What does that have to do with? Next... What does that have to do no with sense. anything? Okay, Jathan. Jathan. Yeah. Let me see if I understand your your question correctly. Okay. Okay. You are asking if we feel that it is better to have the opportunity to be higher on the chain, but use turnkey solutions 
rather than writing everything ourselves. Do you get better experience as a systems administrator working at Google versus working at some small Mom university? Mom and pop, yeah. No, okay, I got it. So I And based specifically on funding available. I don't think you can really compare them because they're going to have entirely different structuring, right? Mm-hmm. Like guys, Google's operate. Sorry, what? Yeah. You guys remember like Vine, right? I remember Vine. Rest in peace. And how funny it was. Yeah. And how like how, like that limitation created some real artistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, because yeah. you could only record really small videos, and that went away, and now we're stuck with YouTube. Yeah, and right? TikTok, Where which you... is. Well, I don't want to talk about right? It's not funny. No. So I think, I think if you're limited, then you have to innovate. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And there's some elegance in that innovation. Yeah. Whereas if if you have all the money in the world, you can, you know, pay enough money to solve your problem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So talking, we did a little show on Radio Statler at Hope where we talked about hack ups, which is not like a real thing, but we made it up as we went. <laughs> And but you know, we essentially, all do it. yeah, yeah it's, it's like, it, yeah. you know, when you do something kind of half ass because, you know, you're in a hurry or you have to or whatever, does a lack of funding and what you're talking about, like, yes, it drives innovation potentially, but does it also lead to more hacky, shitty, not quite proper things being done? Does it form bad habits? I think that entirely depends on how you implement it, you know? Like if you're so one of the benefits is it lets you get to be a little bit of a cowboy, right? Like you can do some stuff if you're doing in-house DevOps, basically is what it boils down to. If you're doing in-house tools and things like that and platforms, you can play it a little fast and loose because you know the specific requirements of it. You don't Mm -hmm. have to write extra fluff to try and manage other use cases. But I don't necessarily think that that entails that you have to do it poorly, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think as long as you don't try and overly take advantage of that, where you're like, okay, I can, I don't need to get this sort of enterprise level support behind this. That means that I don't have to try. Then I think that's where that sort of falls apart. Yeah. You know, that's where you're going to, when you try and go too fast and loose, the whole, think of it as a lathe, right? A lathe, it has to be perfectly centered, but you can do some really crazy stuff with it. Yeah. Right. Whether it's woodwork or metalwork or whatever, you can make some really nice designs, but it has to be centered and it has to be tightly in place. If it's off center or you're said. trying to move the right, thank you. If it's off center or you're trying to spin it too fast, it's gonna just fly off the machine. Hmm. The second you I touch it with the yeah. The challenge is with infinite funds comes infinite compliance. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that too. That's an, yeah. Right. So like, yeah, okay, I have all this money to buy the best I'll just use a vulnerability scanner on the planet. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they're just going to hand you a pile of cash and you can go go wild, right? Like, yeah. Like, even if you're paying for advisors, someone, there is an accountant somewhere who's counting those beans. Yeah. Right? Yep, absolutely. Really, I think it comes down to how you want to pay for it. Do you want to pay for it in money and freedom? Or do you want to pay for it in time? Yeah. Yep. I think that's that's the best way to sum up my perspective on it. But Peyton, you, you know. have anything to, to, anything to throw in? No, I mean, it's been said. I mean... You know, even with infinite funds, I mean, you're still going to have the issue of, like you said, compliance. It's going to be putting it all together. I mean, you know. Yeah. I guess for me personally, I just sometimes I feel disadvantaged because I am very limited 
in what I can sort of take on. Like I can dream yeah. really big, but sometimes I have to keep my dreams in check because I only have X number of dollars. Or X amount of hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm more but, willing to, you know, never sleep again to make my what? dreams come true. But uh, well, no, that's uh, that's not a healthy approach. Okay, but, but you do it too. Well, <laughs> I do it. It doesn't mean I don't recognize that it's terrible for me. I mean, yeah, but yeah, listen, there's having a dream, and then there's you know having the idea of trying to reach the dream, and and if you're never going to reach it, there's no point. You know, like go for your dreams by all means. But if you have a dream for a million or a trillion dollar freaking data center, then I mean, that's just going to be, you know, a little out of reach for you probably. Well, I mean, or you just have like a 20 year plan to take over MasterCard's, you know, become the COO of a major enterprise. There, there, there you, go. you go. There it is. I mean, idea. he could be CEO now be... of Apple already by now, but he turned that job down. So, you know, now would be a good time to mention that it is publicly available, the CIA Guide to... <laughs> <laughs> I think I've actually linked to, linked to it on the show. There's a CIA Guide to... It's from like the 50s or 60s to basically bring down and sabotage an entire company. So hmm. First, you get three envelopes. <laughs> if I can find that, if that's still out there, I'll link to it. But yep, That's my new I'm plan. So Positively linked to it before. I always figured to take down a data center, you just find where the fiber lines go. Right, snap, snap. Find like the manhole that's like two miles away on each side. <laughs> yep. Hop down, snip it, throw some tires and some gasoline down, light that on fire, <laughs> and then have like an envelope with some like flour in it, just like open and loose <laughs> near there. <laughs> and oh, it'll I am be not months advocating that for that. <laughs> I am not saying that. people should Please do don't that, do this. but it is. You're just pointing out the weakness in the system. That's all right. But people, I used to do be on audit teams where people would talk about like, what if they jump out of a helicopter and like sail down onto like paraglide down onto the roof of the data center? It's like, and then mm. they they break in through the hatch. I'm like, I'll just go, I'll go right now and clip the fiber, yeah. a mile up the road, and do the same thing for like that's how easy it is. Yeah. Like, what? All you talking about like Mission Impossible style things where you know he's gonna float down a an elevator shaft and not trigger the lasers and then. You know, his bead of sweat can't hit the oh, floor yeah. because it'll, mm. you know, set off whatever. Like you said, I I'm mean, more just, worried you know. about the, yeah, I'm more worried about the guy who, who bought the $5 reflective vest and the $12 hard hat, you know? I'll just go the, and be like, hey, security guard, how much to let me through the gate at midnight tonight? <laughs> there you I mean, go. how much you know, that too? Yeah. That yeah is I mean, there's, the there's multiple routes of entry that do not require a helicopter and you know, a skin tight suit. Yeah. But again, and I right. always felt like, Okay, so then they break into your data center. What are they going to steal? A hard drive? <laughs> That's yeah. part of an array? Right, right exactly. Yeah. Like, now you got to steal like 600 pounds worth of equipment well, to get... I feel like if you're going to break into a data out, center, yeah. you're going to leave behind something that gives you access remotely. The smart thing... Well, yeah. I I'll mean, just pay a security guard to do that. I don't sure, want to break right, it. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, put yourself or, on the line. The smart thing if, would to terminate the fiber. Yeah. Pop, that, your, yeah, own, just hop in pop your own junction in. Yeah. 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 Or... Sure. Well, most enterprises use like tunnels between sites, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, or as I've seen before, you just ask to go to their conference room that's outside of the protected area mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and plug in a Raspberry Pi to the network <laughs> drop that's in that room. Right. Or one place I saw had a network drop in the parking garage for the data center. Wow, it was in the parking garage. It was in the parking garage, and when we asked, and we plugged in, it was like just on the corporate network. In the data center. For your convenience. And when we asked, like, what was this for? It was like, oh, we were going to put a sign there that tells people how many spots are left. What? 
I that can be disabled. I can be disabled. Oh, it doesn't no. need so, to be active so, all the time. I, oh yeah, they, we literally when we found out about that, we called them like, "You need to turn this off now." You don't even need Cat Five or Cat Five or Cat Five Year or Cat Six for that. Like, why would you? Why? 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 <sighs> A sign that that sign needed access to the internet. That's yeah. That's that just die. Uh, right. Why? Sorry, Jathan, we hijacked your clams a little bit. Yeah, it's bit. fine. You, I'm over it. Done? You're, you're over it? Did we answer your question sufficiently? Yeah, I think that was good input. I will go back to feeling like my dreams are fucking worthless. Thanks. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't do this. Whiny <laughs> ass. Whiny <laughs> ass. All right. I think now's a good time to close it out. This has been System Ministrivia. I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Big. And with us we had... Soldier of Fortran. Great, Orphan. and we will... Post link right, or and we will be posting links for uh, access to all of his links he gives us, and we will uh, we'll see you later. Bye.